and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Please be seated. It was a mere 168 hours ago where Michael said, this will be our final lesson in Hebrews. I did not know it would be one week later I would make him a liar. I'm sorry for that. This will still probably not be our last look at the book of Hebrews because of the fact that Lads to Leaders is going to be focusing in on that and because our children are going to be studying very fervently that, um, I'm going to catch you up as parents so you can study it with them. Make sure that you understand this fact as you open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Three words that would describe the entire book is, Jesus is better. Sorry about that. I think I hit that. But why? Why do we say that? And, and what are we saying about God if we say that this is better than that? And didn't he love those people in the Old Testament too? What, what are we really saying about the book of Hebrews when we say the phrase, Jesus is better? Recently, we've looked at these chapters, and we've looked at a lesson from each of these chapters uh, by Michael on Sunday morning, and we've gotten a, a very good study out of deep portions of, of each chapter. But what I want to look at, look at tonight is, is the book as a whole, how it all sort of fits together like a, like a, well, like a divine puzzle, almost as if God knew what He was doing when He wrote this book. In order for you and I to understand some things about the book of Hebrews, we need to know a couple of things. One, the book of Hebrews is written to the church of Christ in Jerusalem. The church of Christ in Jerusalem, guess what it's made up of? Jews. That's right. That's why the name of the book is Hebrews. As a matter of fact, the first mention of the name Hebrew is mentioned about Abraham. The word Hebrew means uh, one who comes from across the river, from where he was to, to where he ended up in that promised land. See, the word Jew is a kind of a dig. It's, it's, a, it's a derogatory term first implore, employed by the um, Gentiles, because they thought all of them were from the tribe of Hebrew or from the tribe of uh, Judah, so they called them Jews as a way to sort of get at them. But no matter, that name sort of stuck. So as we look at this book, we find out to whom it's written, and it's written to the Hebrews. Now, in order to understand this book, I need to order understand some history of those Hebrews because that's going to come up a few times in this book. 
If I don't know what the temple is, and I don't know what kind of happened in there, and I don't know about those implements, and I don't know sometimes even about that box known as the Ark of the Covenant, I could get lost. If I don't know about the job of the high priest, I could get lost. If I don't know about the, the job of Moses, I could get lost. And so as you and I look at that, remember that you and I have to do a little bit of digging from time to time in the, in the study of the book of Hebrews to find out what the writer is speaking of. Notice some of these things. Chapter 1, Jesus is better than the angels. You heard that this, this evening, didn't you? As we were looking at uh, the ideas found in chapter 1 and chapter 2, you found out that the salvation of the New Testament is better than the law of the Old Testament. Look at chapter 3. Jesus is better than Moses. Ooh. Do you know how terribly that news would have been taken from the Hebrews? From the people who would look at Moses and ascribe to him the very law? Walk with me if you will. There was a place down front in the temple. One singular seat. This is kind of a of a love seat kind of size, but if you can imagine this as being one singular seat, and then imagine it being about this high, so that you can be high and exalted. You know, men, Jewish men would, would fight to get to the temple early. Let that sink in for just a moment. To get that seat. Moses' seat. Well, you say things like, Jesus is better than Moses, you might as well go and slap somebody. You know, that's, in, in our vernacular down south, that's like you walking up and slapping my mama. I can't let that happen. The Hebrews would have looked at chapter 3 and would have said, what is this writer talking about, that, that, that Jesus is better than Moses? You know what Moses gave us? And yet, in chapter 3, what we find out is Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than those angels. That salvation that's offered in the New Testament is better than those laws that are offered in the Old Testament. Look at chapter 4, 5, and 6. Jesus is better than the high priest. Well, that just about does it, preacher. We're about done with all of that, aren't we? Oh, wait just a moment. In order for us to be outraged like the Jewish nation, we need to know something about those high priests. A group of men who came from the lineage of Moses' brother, Aaron. Not just Levites. Levites can be priests, and the family of Aaron are Levites, but not every priest is a high priest, and not every Levite is from the house of Aaron. And if you don't match those two perfectly, you don't get to be high priest. And just because you match those two things doesn't mean you get to be high priest. There's still an order there. And the high priest is the one. The high priest is the one. The one. The one singular Hebrew that has seen that box. You hadn't seen it. You can only understand what he tells you it looks like. He has seen it. He has even uh, every year made a sacrifice on it. 
He's been this close to it. And, and did you know that history would tell us eventually they begin to tie a rope around his leg? You know, just in case he had not repented of and made atonement for all of his sins, and he with wicked hands would go in there and try to make atonement for all of our sins, and he would die in front of that box, we'd have some way to pull his carcass out. You know why? Because you don't get to go back there. But he has seen it. Can you imagine the rock star-like uh, aura that would be around him? He, he's seen the box. He's been right there with it. He's been in the holiest of holies. When the Hebrews writer comes up and says, Jesus is better than the high priest, ooh, For a group of men and women known as Hebrews who have grown up understanding this old law and it being such a, a moldable portion of their life to have you criticize Moses and then criticize his brother and the order of the high priest that God set in order by his own law, those people must have looked at this writer of the Hebrews like he was crazy. But you know what? Jesus is better than the high priest. And I'm not going to take that back because I can prove that in Hebrews 4, 5, and 6. And not only that, he, that high priest, but any other high priest you can think of. For example, chapter 7. Jesus is better than Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the high priest or a priest of Salem, uh, by the way. Salem, eventually down the line, will become Jerusalem. While Melchizedek is the priest over Salem, it's got a whole bunch of Gentiles in it. This is not the, the promised land of God full of Jews and everybody's happy and singing kumbaya with each other. This is the point in time before we have taken this promised land and it's full of Gentiles. And, just a side note for you here, there's still a priest of God in Salem. Now, you want a head scratcher? Think about that one for about a week and figure it out. Not only the high priest, but any priest you can think of. Jesus is better than any priest you can think of. Even one who has no lineage, because we don't know who his mother or his father was, but he was born like a regular person, right? So he does have a mother and a father. Melchizedek does. He wasn't just put here. God didn't have a second creation. He does have a father and mother. We don't know who he was or who they were. And he was a faithful priest of God under the order uh, in Salem. And Jesus is better than him. It's interesting and always has been, I guess a little interesting to me, that chapters 4, 5, and 6 first deal with the Jew and their priest system. Chapter 7, the Gentile and their priest system. An interesting idea. God, Jesus rather came to save both of them. But any priest you can think of, Jesus outshines them. 8, 9, and 10. Once again, the new law is better than the old law. 
the new law better than the old law. Imagine if you could, living in a time and period in which the world is changing. I know you probably can't imagine living in a time in which everything in your world turns upside down, huh? We, we live in a time in, in which uh, masks have become normal and, and, and all of these things, and we think our world's changing. Underline in your mind, we think. As you live underneath this time period in which the church is established, and in, in which the churches, churches are being, or congregations are being established all throughout South, or, or rather uh, Asia Minor, what you're going to find out is there comes a point in time where you have to teach someone the laws that you followed as a child, the ones you were told were just right and would get you to God now won't do it. That's a hard pill to swallow. You mean my grandfather was saved by God? Yes. Yeah. You mean my grandmother who followed these laws I'm trying to follow but was saved by God? Yes. And then now you're saying I'm not. Right. What? How does that work? They've changed. The only one time in history where everything changed and mankind had to change with it. We find on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the law of, of serving God has changed. Not drastically. It's changed for the better. Where the new law is better than the old law, chapters 8, 9, and 10. We find ourselves looking at probably the most famous chapter in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. There are better examples in chapter 11. You look at all those examples, you find Adam, Enoch, Noah, Moses, Abraham, Sarah. Uh, but you say, preacher, all of those are Old Testament. Oh, yeah. Oh, they are. If you look at Hebrews chapter 11, let's take one example real quickly. And I want to show you something that... that a few weeks ago, uh, Michael mentioned, but I want you to make sure you understand it as we look at these Bible examples. For by faith, Abel offered. Stop right there. By faith, Abel offered. What happened underneath that Old Testament and patriarchal systems given by God? Abel, Noah, you can go move on to Abraham, you can look at Sarah. Those men and women were saved in the same fashion you and I are today. God commanded and they did. Period. That's it. By faith, Abel offered. By faith, Noah built. By faith, Abraham offered his son. What does he ask me to do by faith today? Hear him? Yes. Well, what else? Believe him? Sure. Repent? Yes. And confess? Sure. Be baptized? By faith, when I do those things, God saves. It's just that easy. That's the same thing he has required from the garden. 
And as he's writing this book to this group of Hebrews, he's writing them and saying, remember what they did, chapter 11, and emulate that. God told them to do something, and they did it. Now, for you who are living underneath that new law, when God says be baptized and added to His church, where are you going to land? Would you follow their good, their better example, and do what He says? Or will you cling to the old law and be L-O-S-T? Chapter 12. There's better discipline. And I know that sounds like a, like a harsh word, but there's, there's a better discipline. I mean, once you see all of those examples, you, as Brother Michael read for us momentarily, uh, just a few moments ago, you are urged, if not required, urged, if not required, to look toward Jesus. And the discipline that he had, that Sean talked about here just a few moments ago, to stay on that cross and to remain that sacrifice for us, and you and I are commanded to follow in his footsteps. Chapter 13, we see a better praise and a better sacrifice that's mentioned within this book. Jesus is better. As a matter of fact, the entire book of Hebrews tells us he's better, but we still haven't answered the question, but why? We've only looked at Jesus is better. Boy, this sermon's going to get long in a second, isn't it? Are you saying to me that God had a bad plan in the Old Testament? Are you saying that there's going to be another plan, not according to Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, or Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28? There's not going to be another one. Matter of fact, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9 would say, there are some who would pervert the gospel and try to convince you that there's going to be another one, but there's not another one. Matter of fact, if they don't preach the same thing that, that you've heard from us, they need to be accursed. And in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 and 28, we'll read for it, it is appointed a man wants to die, then after this, the judgment. But after the second time that Jesus will return, on that second return of Jesus, or that, or that return, not the second return, that return of Jesus, His second coming, He won't return as a, say, a sacrifice anymore. He'll return as the judge. He's wearing a different hat the second time. God didn't have a bad plan as we look at the Old Testament. He didn't have a bad plan. That's almost like saying, did God tank a win on purpose? Did, did God uh, fall down on purpose? No. That's not God. That's not what He does. Blood. Blood. That's what it's about. When, when you boil everything down from the old and the new law and from Jesus being better than this and better than that and better than this other thing, it all comes down to blood. It all comes down to an ocean of animals' blood or 1.2 gallons of the right blood. That's all it comes down to. There were, there were rivers of animals that were sacrificed throughout the old law. 
There was, the old law is a bloody, bloody law. There's blood all over the temple. There's blood all over the altar. There's blood all over the instruments of the altar. There's blood all over the priests. There's blood all over the ground. There's blood all over everything. There's blood even on the tabernacle, or, or rather the, uh, the tablets of the law. It all comes down to blood. But it's not the right kind. It's not the right kind. Look at Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 22. As you're making your way over there, let me do the best I can with the very limited vocabulary I have to make you understand. Blood has always been the interest that God would require for our sin. And if I'm paying it correctly, because it's my sin, it ought to be my blood. If I give the proper amount of blood for my sin, that will kill me. I will open my eyes into eternity and still not have paid the debt for my sin. And as the last verse of Hebrews chapter 10 says, I will stand before a very jealous and angry God. I don't want to do that. Not only do I not want to do that, He didn't want me to do that. And so He sends a vessel. Somewhere between 1.2 and 1.5 gallons of blood is what the human body holds. And we see the vessel, at least mentioned, starting in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 22, where the Hebrews writer will write, For without blood, it's impossible to remit sin. You can't do it. Without the blood, you can't remit sin. And so in verse 10, or chapter 10, we read this, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which are made year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. What is Hebrews 10, 1 telling me? That the blood's not right. You see, every animal that was offered underneath the Old Testament regime could have been offered at one time. If we were to stack all of those animals and all of that blood up, it could have been offered to God at one time. And they would have still had to come back the next year and still make those sacrifices. The book of Hebrews is about blood. The book that you hold in your hand. All 66 books that are found herein is about blood. And realistically, it's only about a gallon of blood. Not all the blood that was sacrificed, but that one man who was sacrificed. And that's why the Hebrews writer says, listen, Jesus is far superior to this and far superior to that. And you need to understand who he is and why he is in order to understand that his blood is so vitally 
important. Now, if I know and understand that it's all about blood, and I know and understand that it's all about Jesus' blood, what am I going to do with that? Here are your two options. Nothing. And eventually you'll pass me by here and say, that was a, boy, that was a good one. Right on the back. Thank you. I appreciate that. You can do nothing with it. You can let all that information and, and all of this idea of why Jesus is better and why his blood is better, you can let it all slide right past you and never even think about it again. That's an option. Or you could open the book that God preserved for us written to that Jewish church. And we can read it and understand it and have our appreciation for the sacrifice grow immensely. You know, but really that appreciation only grows if, if that sacrifice is for you. You say, well, preacher, isn't it for everybody? It is. It is for every single person on this earth. God gave His Son for everyone. But not everyone has made themselves subject to Christ as King. Now, there is something good in this lesson. And that is God has given us both space and time to repent and follow Him. If you've never put on Christ in baptism, wouldn't you do that tonight? Why would you wait? There is an offer out there, but it's never a better offer. The offer is wait, and it's by Satan. By the way, he's going to lie to you. You can do it tomorrow. You can do it the next week. You can do it. No, no, no. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may be too late. When you and I understand that, and we put on Christ in baptism, then we have to look at ourselves. And we say to ourselves, is Jesus really better in my life than X, Y, or Z? He's going to have to be. He's going to have to be better than any high priest or uh, any, any leader, any television show, any internet site, any ball game, any activity. He must be most important in order for me to be faithful unto Him. Let me encourage you that if you are subject to heaven's invitation, that you seriously consider coming back home right now while we stand and sing for your encouragement. Have you been to Jesus for the